My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and you are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. This is my conversation with a fellow called Toby Peterson-Stewart, one of the two outstanding bass guitarists in the band from Melbourne called The Omnific. I reached out to Toby to have a conversation with him about the band's then new album, which is called Kismet. It's an extraordinary affair and in my view, it could potentially change the face of prog metal in the years to come. So let's hear what Toby has to say. Here we go. Toby, welcome to the show, mate. Yourself and um, Matthew Fackrell are very talented bass guitarists. What inspired you to start the band with two bassists and a percussionist? Um, in terms of what inspired us to, I don't think... I think just me and Matt kind of meeting each other and being in the same city kind of is what uh, inspired us to start doing stuff together. He came over one day and um, just to demo one of his other band's songs. This was kind of the second time I met him. Um, and then that night he went home and I think we slightly thought of an idea because we had just such similar music tastes and like kind of musical goals and, and just technical technical skills on the bass. We kind of, I think we both kind of thought of like the idea of like starting a band, and I don't think he just did it. And he just wrote like the first like minute of a song, and we're all like, cool. Um, and then it's kind of just like kind of the rest from there, which kind of sorting ourselves out from there. I think that's that's pretty much it. So, how do you guys go about crafting a song? Is it in the rehearsal room, or do you have a cloud-based riff bank that you store ideas and then you work on separately, and then say bring to a rehearsal room? Yeah, everything would be brought to a rehearsal room just um, because of so many nitpicky kind of things. We're all very precise with our parts, so it's not there's not a whole lot of jamming. Um, we might jam out some riffs to see what might sound better, but they're always kind of written. I know that Matt writes in um, Guitar Pro. Um, I, I write just like in Pro Tools, so I'll just demo um, straight up so we can get like the full picture first. Although for our next releases, um, I do, I wouldn't mind actually trying to start jamming some things earlier or just start jamming from the scratch and seeing where we go from there. Um, but yeah, so far it's all been, um, quite computer based from, from the starting of any kind of riffs or songs. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it makes sense given the technical nature of the music that you're bringing to the table. So, so I only found out about the band yesterday, believe it or not. Um, so I found out about the band through the Music Man Instagram page. So you're both shredding in the track Objects to Virtu and the video that they've shared, and it's in a dual display single video. So you can actually see the fretwork that you guys are putting in on the video that they've shared. Now, bongo basses for those listening for those that don't know, aren't the most attractive bases. However, they were a design collaboration between Ernie Ball and BMW of all corporations. Now, I actually remember when they first were released, and I remember asking the proprietor of the bass player on Parramatta Road in Sydney. I was in Sydney at the time. The bloke's name was Carl Lindbom, and this is back in 2003. Who they were actually designed for, because they confounded me, to be honest with you, and he um, said in a fairly straight far too straight face actually said that they were actually designed for aliens and at the time I couldn't disagree um, I'm a bass player as well I'll let you know that now and I play Music Man basses I play Sterling 4s and Sterling 5s um, so I've got one Sterling 4 one Sterling 5 one Stingray 4 one Stingray 5 and I can certainly vouch for Music Man's versatility so my question for you after that fairly long statement mate is how integral is the bongo to the sounds that you're both creating? 
Um, well, all the sounds off um, our latest EP and off that single, um, like the tones are generally just just di and um, you know the dark class B seven K. That's pretty much the entire like tone. Um, I don't think there's too many amps going on most of the time throughout the EP. So obviously it's it, it's very raw and it's very bare. So we have to have a quite a good bass to give us that. I did use um, I used to play an Ibanez SR505, which was really great. But yeah, I've seen a picture of that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that's just the intermediate kind of bass, but it really did the job, and I still have it. Um, and it has its own kind of like sound. It's a very different sound. But um, we found the bongos just have a really rich and versatile kind of sound throughout the entire fretboard, especially because a lot of the stuff would be on the higher end. Um, it's just really good to sound rich and just have that sustain. And so we found that Matt, Matt's had a bongo for about a year and a half. And um, and um, so that's how I kind of got familiar with it. And I got my bongo maybe uh, three months ago, um, just after playing his and realizing the um, the versatility of the instrument for, for what we're going for. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a good good instrument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I've unbelievably I've never played one, but um, I've certainly heard um, them before. I think um, your tone reminds me a little bit of what John Myung from Dream Theater achieves on their recordings when you can hear isolated um, tracks that he's played on. So I mm, def- yeah. definitely understand what you're saying that it's um, it's you know it's a sound that really is. What I really liked about your music was I could really feel that. I could hear the sound of your fingers running across the strings as well. It's a very real sound. There's not a lot of modulation going on and a lot of uh, manipulation of the sound as um, as it comes from the strings into the what the, whatever door you used. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, um, I think yeah, if you compared playing the bongo, if you compared it to John Petrucci, the other the guitarist in um, Dream Theater, it's kind of like the bass version of his guitar kind of like the kind of streamline like a fast neck and just light and yeah that kind of stuff yeah so uh, i remember you, I mean, i'm 39 years of age so i've been listening to metal rock and experimental music for about 25 odd years or so um pre-shrunk were an australian band from the late 90s and look to be frank they weren't very good but they were doing something similar to you guys and that they had two bass guitarists and a percussionist and um I always felt that what they were doing on the bass could easily have been done on the guitar. So I think from their perspective, and I won't speak for them, I'm not having a go at the guys either. It's just that it was a bit of a gimmick for them. They have none of the remarkable chops that you guys are bringing to the table, and there was no real identifiable use of the bass guitar to create sounds from their perspective. But why, why do you think bands that have the bass guitar as the focus are so few and far between? Because I do actually have a, sh- a theory that I'll share with you after you answer the question. Um, so what was the last part of that question? So why, why do you think bands that have the bass guitar as a focus, like what you guys do, are so few and far between? There's, as I say, there was that Australian band pre-shrunk, there's, say, Primus. Yeah. God, after that, it's a very skinny list. Well, I know for us, it's just because lots of people ask if me and Matt play guitar, um, and they just honestly assume that we can shred in guitar as well. Yeah, um, yeah I get that too. I can I play guitar, song, yeah. Yeah, I, I played, I kind of played bass and guitar when I started music and kind of my levels and then went up 
steadily. And then I started playing bass way more and so much better bass than guitar. But like Matt, he can't <laughs> he can't play guitar at all. And I think with those kind of bands, it is kind of guitarists just transferring to bass. And so that's why they're just like the riffs that just can all be played on guitar and that kind of stuff. But so many of our stuff is you know it's it's bass riffs. It's not it's not really guitarists. And we do have people comment and say that it would sound better with a guitar. And I think if we ever got the chance, it'd be really funny to get a guitar, like a like maybe like someone like Tozen Bossy to do a guitar solo on a song, just because it would be funny and it'd be good. Well, not really because it'd be funny, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned Animals as Leaders, actually, because you guys reminded me, without you're not the same as them at all, but I'm a massive fan of Animals as Leaders. But, of course, they've got two guitarists in the band. You guys are almost the bass version of them in, in some ways, you know, with the gentisms that you've got. We definitely didn't think of that. We didn't. We, we weren't. We weren't trying to model them in terms of that. No, <laughs> no. I could. I could tell that. Yeah, I could definitely tell that. But I guess. Uh, yeah, probably the right yeah. way to say it. You, you give me the same feeling when I'm listening to you guys as what I get when I listen to Animals as Leaders, without saying that you're the same or you're copying or you're even trying to emulate what they do at all. It's nothing like what they do for the listener out there. You guys have got a lot more what I'd probably refer to as melodic phrasing than what they've got. Uh, they can go quite genty and. They've got quite a metal overtone, whereas you guys sort of you guys have some of that, but it's it's you're far more about the melodic side of things. Mm, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess um, a lot of our stuff that we write is we write it for the song, rather than adding in these um, I don't know this this really fast run or something into our songs. That's why um, so rather than being like really technical, we just try to make the song really nice and really good. Um, we do have some more heavier songs that are coming out uh, on the next release, and we have one heavier song on, um, on our latest release, uh, Earthats. Um, but, yeah, we always just try to write for the song, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember listening to that song. I think I listened to... This is the impact that your album had on me, actually. Is it an, is it an, I know it's got eight tracks, so is it an EP or an, an album? I've, I've seen you refer to it as an EP online. Yeah, it's we we would say it's it's an EP, um, which is a kind of slightly longer EP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, you know, I'll just digress for a moment. Um, I when I when I saw that Music Man post, I thought, Jesus, and it said Australian band. I was really excited actually. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll check this out, and um, I think I listened to it about four or five times in a row. The EP um, through through Apple Music, so man, it's it's a fantastic EP that you guys have released. It just it's so multi layered, and I, I feel like as I've just skimmed the surface of it. Actually, I mean, I've got I've got two young daughters, so I was listening to it in the background over my UE speakers um, with them, and you know they te- believe me, they tend to object when they don't like something that's on. <laughs> like my words, <laughs> they're uh, they're three years of age and four and a half, and if they don't, I I, I do this for a living. I listen to music, and I'm a journalist. I'm also a musician, as I pointed out. So they're used to me putting on music around the house, but they quite got into what you you guys are doing, and that's a bit of a litmus test for me. I can tell you that in my household. That's awesome. Thank, um, you're very kind. Thank you, man. Um, yeah, we. I kind of people have told me. I think someone told me the other day that they play um, music at a party or something, and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, apparently, it can be 
things like that. And I think that's really mm. cool, but I just can't see that happening. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit more in-depth than, than drinking music, that's for sure. It's a sort of music that I, I do a lot of driving here in regional Queensland, and I'll be, I look forward to listening to it when I'm on the road, actually. It's going to be a great, great um, companion to some of my long drives that I do. You know, so so I'll just um, backtrack for a moment. I just want to give you my theory about why I think um, the bass guitar isn't more of a focus from a from a band perspective. Now, here's my theory, and it, it's that a lot of musicians think that the bass guitar is an easy instrument to play. Now, I know this firsthand because I am also a guitarist, but I'm primarily as a ba- a bass player. I started playing bass. What I've noticed is when people cross over from whatever instrument that they're typically playing, usually guitar to the bass and when they go on stage to play it or when they're recording it's a lot harder to get 100% correct than a six or seven string guitar as basses have far more unforgiving dynamics e.g. on a bass uh, sorry on a, a typical six or seven string guitar there's no little to no fret buzz to consider and if a guitar is slightly out of tune it doesn't sound like it's trying to murder the rest of the instruments like the bass does when you're slightly out of tune on stage and the other thing is I think it's mostly easier or there's a perception that it's easier to write music on the guitar than a bass due to the greater melodic options. Now, I think what you guys are doing are breaking down some barriers there by displaying an excellent grasp of just about all of the techniques available to a bass player. So there's finger-style playing, tapping, slap and thumb bass, as well as some double stops and, and funk techniques that you guys are bringing. Um. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a pretty good theory because, uh, yeah, when we first started recording this stuff kind of in March last year, oh, my God, like just realising how you can hear everything that you're playing. And that's that's what we find so hard to play about it. Like you can't you – can, you have to always be on your toes whenever you're, you're, you're rehearsing or performing and recording because you can hear everything. The smallest amount of fret buzz in a recording you can hear, and so we have to do the take over that, and it's just a pain in the ass. Um, but yeah, it really makes you work hard. But it's totally something that we always have to think about whenever recording and whenever we're live. So um, that comes down to the setup and the way it's played um, for each riff, like the setup of the bass. I mean, um, oh, big time! Look, I've I've struck my. Actually, I'll share something with you now. I spoke to Victoria from Fragile Animals about this because she's a bass player. She's near me here on the Sunshine Coast. And um, my truss rod in my Sterling 4 snapped. Um, and oh, music, yeah, Music Man couldn't even believe it, actually. And you know they've got proprietary products, so I've got to send the neck. Well, they were very nice about it, actually, and they didn't ask me to send the neck back, but they're going to send me a neck first, and then when I've got the neck, I've got to send my neck back at, when once I've received my neck um, from them. Um, but... Yeah, my bloody truss rod snapped. Um, so I just find that my bases are approaching the 20 year mark now. That one there in particular was dead on 20 years, I think, or 18 years, I think it was, sorry. Um, but I, I'm so glad that I've found a luthier here in Brisbane, um, a guy called Gary Albrecht, um, to help me work on the bases because I'm, I'm just finding it's not a thing about being music man. Music man are high quality instruments off the shelf, but owning Four bass, frontline bass guitars like what I've got, mate. It's like owning a, a fleet of, um, you know, old cars or something like that. I almost need a team of engineers around me to keep them on the road. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like my bases are quite much newer than that, but um, yeah, I think that can that's something that can definitely be overlooked in guitarists and bases. Probably bases a little bit more. Um, that a really good setup goes a long way. Um, 
we get it. We yeah, we think we we get a lot of questions about what string gauges we use. I think, um, and obviously that comes with the setup. But just having like a really good setup just makes the note like sing in a completely um, different way. It obviously makes you physically capable to, capable to do different things like tapping. Like you can't have like um, you have to have quite low action to get that quite smooth, um, and that kind of stuff. It's it's something that's totally overlooked. I think. Oh, it's it's essential. Once, once if you, like we both are as working musicians, if you if you don't have that, I'm, I'm, I play in covers bands, you see, so I'm used to playing between four and five hours a night. And if I'm doing that three mm. times a week, and if I don't have an instrument that I can 100% rely on, particularly with all the other excuse my language bullshit that goes on on stage, um, you know, the drummer's got to get their sound right. Playing with two guitarists, sometimes a keyboard player, especially playing with a wonderful female vocalist that I'm, I'm performing with at the moment. I, I mean, it's really my job on the glue, as, as you know what it's like in a band. You know, I've got to lock everything down, man, and I've got to. I'm one of those bass players who likes to play a bit louder, um, and the rest of the band, mm. I think, appreciates it because I, I make a point of knowing the song back to front. So sometimes in those four or five hour gigs, people just sort of forget where they're at because they're looking at TV screens which have got the football on or the cricket on or something like that, um, or a pretty lady walks past them in the front of the crowd. You know how it is. And they get distracted. <laughs> they get distracted. But my thing is just having 100% confidence in my gear. I um, I'll ask you this question actually. Is uh, I use Galen Kruger amplification. I've I've sort of arrived at that after using a few few other uh, brands. What what are the brands that you guys use? Um, it's not really confidential yet, just yet. But we haven't announced it yet. But um. Where uh, Dark Glass, the company which I mentioned before, they're sending us. Um, well, they've sent us the heads for um, for their amps, and then they're sending us the cabs at some point. And so we're going to be starting to use those live um, recordings to store DI, and then just using the B7K um, to reamp. But for the whole past year and a bit live, we've only just gone direct using the B7K. We just kind of found that that's really clean. Um, there's no low interfering frequencies, but while that's such a positive thing, it's fine. It's quite hard to power over the drum, especially if you're close up. So using the, um, going back to amps, um, and just providing that air and that kind of oomph, um, and hopefully, um, making it sound clean at the same time, because we did do our first rehearsal with amps. Um, and we just found that there's just the really, really low frequencies just kind of mess with what we want to do and it just is a little bit whack but then sometimes you go to big shows and you're getting those low frequencies anyway because it's the front of house engineer you know he thinks your bass is cranking like the low 60 anyway but, um, but yeah that's what we use the um well that's what we will use and yeah we don't really use amps <laughs> Well, it would have been a crime if you didn't have the, the endorsement there, I've got to say. So I'm glad that, that Dark Glass come to the party there. And is that, um, is that through the guys at the, is it the base center there? I bought a few things from them actually there at South Melbourne. Do you have a relationship with those guys? Did they help get the deal or is it totally separate from, from any retail shop? No, yeah, it's totally, um, it's totally separate. I just hit them up and we've just been talking. Um, that's kind of it. I think, I think we, we, we should be, um, it's all, um, unconfirmed yet but um we should be doing an in-store demo of the cabs when they they arrive in australia so i'm assuming that's going to be at the base center so i've i've never found 
I've played through a few cabs and I've borrowed a few cabs, never hired any, but I've borrowed some and I've bought some of my own. So I, I like co-branded things. So I've got Galleon Kruger cabs. Excuse, excuse me for swearing and if anybody from Galleon Kruger is listening, but the Paragon drivers are shit. Um, I've found <laughs> I just blow them up. Um, they just crack. Um, I, I just like having the co-branded stuff so I get them, but I know there's other brands out there like Epifani. Uh, there's a few Italian brands like Mark Base and there's another one there, but I've just never really found a cab that I could rely on 100%. You know that? And I do like playing 4x10s because as a working musician, you don't want to bring a bloody 8x10 with you everywhere and ruin the back of your car and all the rest of it. But yeah, I just, I, I love the Galen Kruger amplification. So the, I use a uh, 1001. The um, cabs though, man, I don't know. I've just, I've always struggled with it. I know I'm not the only one out there. I've, I've thought, I've got to go to a fella here, um, Queensland uh, Speaker Repairs, and I've typically, uh, him and there's another guy over on the base side whose name I can't remember at the moment. I went a couple of years ago, but I got my speakers reconed through him, and they lasted a lot longer. He was using a brand called Fane Drivers, and uh, they could handle it, but they all wear out after a while. Um, so I'd be interested um, to, um, I'd love it if you could do like a social media post or something like that, commenting on the sounds that are coming from um the dark glass set up when it actually, you know, I no doubt the deal will go through. So we're just talking about a prospective deal at the moment for you. Um, but I'd love it if you could share that sort of stuff online. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think um, I think we'll be doing some reviews of them um, and demos. So we'll kind of be honest about it, but I have a feeling they'll be pretty sick. Um, I think they're just, they're, I love the 2 by 10s I think they're 2 by 12s the cones. Or might be the 2 by 10 No, they're definitely 2 by 10s but in like a bigger, in a slightly oversized um um, like, um, and so they should be um, pretty clean and not too overpowering, and hopefully pretty perfect for what we um, we're going for. Um, but in terms of in terms of like other amps and stuff, I know how, especially just I I, I haven't played, I don't even own an amp right now, <laughs> just because I just stopped playing them because in metal, like nobody really wanted it <laughs> or needed it because it's just so pristine and. You know, everything needs to be perfect, so I ended up just going DI anyway. Um, but I did use an Ashdown mag something, like with a 4x10. And I think there's something about... Not that I don't know necessarily what, if you'd say that um, different amps are better than, the, than each other or different cabs are better than each other. Um, obviously, there's differences, but I think it's more how familiar you are with the response of the amp. And that goes with basses as well, but like that low end response um, when you're playing so loud, like that's such an important factor to be aware of when you're playing through an amp because, yeah, if it's just responding differently, then you're going to respond differently to it. So it's kind of, it's really important, I think, and that's why you, um, will go on Google would just feel like home for you, right? Yeah, I, look, I've been using them now for a long time. I, I went through, um, I don't know, uh, how, how old are you, mate, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I just turned 21 the other month. Jesus Christ, mate. That's phenomenal talent then for your age. Jesus. Yeah, that's incredible. You the sound the like other guys been... are younger than... <laughs> Man, you sound like you've been playing for about 50 years. You know, you've got that... Um, it's. I also look at people's facial expressions when they're playing because that usually tells me how difficult it is. And you guys look like you're just breezing along, you know, with all the finger tapping and stuff that you're doing. So it's just a very natural thing for you guys to be playing the bass guitar, clearly. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit. I'm still, I'm still totally getting used to playing live in front of a crowd. Like, we don't do it super often. I think we played ten shows, but that's always kind of like a, like a slightly nerve wracking because 
I don't know, I think you just kind of forget <laughs> that everybody can hear what you're doing when you're playing the bass. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, I know. Uh, I remember my first few shows, God, years ago now. I used to play new metal bands um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and I used to be nervous as shit. These days, I almost wish I got nervous just to feel what it felt mm. like again you know what i mean you do i reckon i reckon after your first two dozen gigs or so you don't get nervous anymore because you realize that i don't know it's you just lose it you just lose the nerves i think after a period of time i've, I've i like this i've like lindsey buckingham from fleetwood mac or somebody like that was talking about it. he said some the same thing that he wished he got nervous again just so as to, to, to see what sort of a performance or different type of a different type of performance that it might offer him um, but, mm. but yeah, I don't know. Look, I digress, mate. Sorry, that's a that's a, a right angle to what we're talking about. But um, mate, let's um, let's talk about the EP Kismet. So I mentioned earlier that I've listened to it on Apple Music a couple of times. Are there any themes or concepts running throughout the record? So I appreciate there's no lyrics or no no singing on the album, but still, are there any themes or concepts throughout the album? Um, I wouldn't say um. There's no there's no exact concepts over the whole EP. Um, Kismet does mean fate and destiny, um, and we kind of just in terms of naming songs, we just kind of um, just kind of name what we feel like is appropriate to them. There's no there's not real there's no real in depth thought, but it always has to be fitting and appropriate and, and something that we like. Um, there's no overarching concepts. It all has, um, I think the thing that ties the EP kind of together is um, all the synth um, work that's going on. We got our friend Jamie to um, help us with that. We we write, we wrote most of it and then he um, he kind of helps us get the sounds and then adds what he thinks should be added. So he, um, he kind of helped with all that. And a lot of those sounds kind of carry across like the bells and just some of the synth sounds, like the synth pads. Um, have a sound that carry over the entire album, like a very similar sound. So I think that that would be the thing if you call like an overarching theme um, would be those kind of sounds that we have in those um, synth tracks. But they're all kind of isolated works. They aren't they aren't relevant to each other um, in any way at all. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Yeah, no. Look, I thought that might be the case, but. Um... I mean, everything fits together so nicely, you know that, um, particularly on the, on the melodic front. Um, you guys, you must have a very good understanding of theory, I, I take it. Is, is that the case? Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, uh, you, you're both very naturally gifted then, if that's the case, because it just all seems to fit together. There's there's no dud notes or no dud chordal phrasings that, that you've married up. It just all yep. seems to work so beautifully together. It actually reminds me of music that, here's one for the budding CGI enthusiasts out there, if any are listening, but if you could picture what it's like to fly through clouds, your music is a perfect accompaniment for that. It's awesome. <laughs> I just get this, this, this image, man, and, and yeah, it's just, just one of those things, mate. Some music is very visual, and, and, and yours indeed is. And so, so my next question, mate, is, is, um, what are you guys doing to promote the album? Are there are there some tours, or not? Maybe not tours as such in the works, but are there some shows that are planned around around Melbourne and then by extension domestically? We haven't got anything currently planned, but we are planning. Well, I say that, but 
there is something that will be in the works very soon of the tour. Um, definitely at least up the east coast of Australia, but just to think like maybe like a co-headliner or something, um, just to promote the EP. Just because recently um, we're talking to a booking agent, but we kind of just haven't really focused on that too much. But I think in 2018, um, we really want to kick up our live shows, which is why we're talking to um, booking agents now, just to, to really geek that up, because that's definitely something that we um, can get more of and that we want to get more of. Um, now that we've got such good internet kind of pool, we need to get that in the real world as well. Um, so, yeah, hopefully a tour on the East Coast uh, next year. And then potentially some stuff in um yeah we're looking at some international stuff but that's all kind of in the air at the moment but hopefully in 2018 or definitely in 2019 yeah because i mean without pigeonholing the band okay there are those prog fests internationally that i think you guys would do very well if you could secure a spot on one of those bills yeah yeah we'll definitely i would have applied for the uk tech fest but um and and whether we get whether we get in or not, it seems pretty confident that we'll get in. But um, it's all about making it um worth our while with playing shows around it because um, yeah, we can always wait another year to do that if we if we can't make it uh feasible financially for ourselves because we all we we all um like Matt's Matt's nineteen and John is twenty, so we're all kind of in similar boats in terms of finances. So we're just kind of making whatever works as best as we can um, at the moment. So, yeah. Fair enough, mate. And um, is, is there a vinyl uh, release planned for the EP? No. We've had so many questions of that for some reason. But, no, we don't really have any plans for that, I don't think. Maybe if we are... Uh, maybe when we release an album, we'll have it on vinyl. Oh, look, I'd, I'd encourage it because you are one of those bands and you're a collective of musicians that I think you get... You, you get genuine and real music fans loving your music, you know. I, I, I wouldn't hesitate to put myself in that category. And, um, look, I just... The MP3s are one thing and WAV files are one thing, but I love nothing more than cooking dinner and making coffee and, do, you know, doing things that involve um, a bit of culture, let's put it that way, and having beautiful music like yours on in the background. And I love doing that through the vinyl medium or even and uh, cassettes. I'm a big fan of cassettes, Um I don't know, it's probably just harking back to my youth more than anything else, but I try to buy cassettes from bands whenever they release them as well. Yeah, cool. Well, maybe we'll put the word out and maybe if people are interested enough, we can, um, we can get on that. Yeah. So how's, it, how's the EP been received by, um, by fans? So have you, have you got a lot of people like me that have sort of been really inspired by it and reached out and said, wow, this is fantastic? Yeah, like I'd say we, yeah, there's been, quite a few people who've done that and just reached out and it's honestly quite overwhelming because um, without sounding selfish or anything, it's just kind of overwhelming and it's kind of like hard to um, to digest how many people feel this strongly about our music and it's so awesome but um, it's, been received, it's been received well and um, we just kind of got to keep pushing it. Uh, it kind of um, it kind of goes in humps in a, like, like a roller coaster kind of thing of when you release a video, it kind of gets a little spike. So we've got some more videos planned for, um, I think the next one will be released next year, but just kind of releasing more videos for particular songs, like Earthats will have its own video, just kind of, I think um, there are the people that will listen to the album, but we really want to draw them into those kind of songs, um, especially leading onto the next release we do next year. Um, we want to lead them in the right direction and um, 
kind of show them what we're about through those kind of things because you know that we know that they um they would they would do the best for our releases these videos yeah um, for sure yeah it's been been received well yeah. Yeah, no, I'd second that. I, I love the social media presence you've got where you've got a lot of playthrough videos and the like. I do, I do think that that's your, your – you can't really pick your audience, but I do think people are going to be drawn to you to try to understand how you've created your music. I know, I know I'm in that, that basket myself. It's just the wonderful thing about you guys is there are a lot of techie and proggy-style bands out there who have wonderful musicians, but a lot of them can't write songs the way you guys can. So you guys have actually got the EP or the album to back up the chops that you've got. So I think, mate, I think you guys are going to have a very, you know, if this is what you want to do with your lives, so I think you guys are going to have a very long and successful career doing this. Thank you, man. Thank you. That's, that's really kind. Um, yeah, we are all definitely in that boat of wanting to do this for the rest of our lives. So we're kind of just pushing it as hard as we can, um, as fast as we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's like that, isn't it? You're doing it at the right age. So don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to come across like old man winter or anything like that, but no. my, my story from years ago is when I was playing in bands, I was in a band called Velveteen, and I remember reaching out to, um, well, this is only one aspect of my story, sorry, playing in a band called Velveteen, and um, I'm a big Aussie Osborne fan. Um, by extension, I, you know, you tend to dive a bit deeper and um, found out that most of the songs, actually all of the songs really, uh, classic Aussie Osborne songs are written by a bloke from Sydney, a guy called Bob Daisley, it turns out, an Australian like you and I. And um, he's a bass guitarist. And I reached out to him and I said, look, you're living in, he was living in Sydney. I think he's, he's, he's back in Sydney. He's been back in Sydney for about 20 years or so. But um, I reached out to him and said, look, I want bass guitar lessons from you. You're the man. You know, I really liked the way that he was doing it. I always wanted to be a side man contributing towards someone's greater vision. And he goes, look, I'll, I won't do lessons. Um, I'll... Um, I'll give you mentorship. So tell me what you're doing. And I told him what I was doing at Velveteen and they're like, we were doing what we could do, you know, a few supports of Thirsty Merc and a few other bands around town. Nothing too serious. And, you know, we got some interest from Richard Kingsmill and Triple J. But, you know, we just didn't have a clue, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you, you don't really, when, oh, when I say you don't, I'm talking to someone who I was of your age back then, but I didn't have a clue where to start or what to do. And we're sort of just going with the flow and things. But he said something to me very important back then, and I don't know whether it's the same now. I don't think it's the same now, by the way. But he said if I wanted to really do it to um, go to Los Angeles, New York, or London, or words to the effect, and I didn't have the emotional maturity at the time to actually act on the advice that he'd given to me. And part of me really does wish that I went over there because you can get three-month working visas, I think, fairly quickly, or back at the time you could anyway. Um and just giving it a red-hot go, because I ended up doing quite a bit of session work around town, and you know, Melbourne and, and Sydney. And um, I just I just sort of wish that I'd sort of given it a red-hot go. But, you know, the problem is after, you know, your mid-20s or early in mid-20s is you, you you tend to meet somebody and you say, oh, I know what happened to me. You meet somebody you settle down with. I got more invested in my, my career, which was in Telstra. I've actually just left my career at Telstra. And uh, the music, it, it stops becoming the main thing and it starts becoming one of many things. Um the thing about the stages, I think you guys are at in your life, you can give it a red-hot go now and it might actually become the thing. You know what I mean? I hope that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Um, yeah, that's like kind of what we're fighting for. But obviously, yeah, like the dynamic of the music industry um, this day and age is so much different and it's, um, it's quite a bit harder to sustain this kind of thing. So we're very aware of that. Um, I'm always kind of pushing for that sustain actually to... Um, to sustain our careers and sustain our um, whatever we do, rather than having our um, rather than having like a gimmick that just dies out. Like that's not what we're about. Um, but we'll always get that label anyway. But um, 
this is really about sustaining what we've got um, is something that I always try to make us aware of. Um, Eyes, something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, if if I think for anybody listening out there, if you think the band's a gimmick because it's got two bass guitars, they certainly aren't. There's no way. They've, as I mentioned, the band actually has the the songs to back up the chops, and it's one of the very few occasions where that could be the case. Now, I'm not going to mention any of our other bands, but actually, I'll mention one. Sorry, this is only my opinion. This is certainly not your opinion, Toby. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> the guy um, Alex Webster from Cannibal Corpse is a tremendous bass guitarist. I think he has another band called, oh, I can't remember them, but they're very proggy sounding, but my God, is it a hard listen. So it does come across like a bit of a gimmick. You guys definitely are not in that basket. There are, there are songs there. And, um, you know, what can I say? You know, I've been, I don't want to be too, um, I don't want to embarrass you by being too effusive in my, in my praise, but I just think that you guys can cross over, uh, in particular in North America and Europe. Now I know, I know that, you know, there's this, I've noticed a bit of a trend amongst Australian musicians to sort of, dis that ambition to have a drive to want to achieve success in Europe and North America. And frankly, I don't understand it. They're the biggest economic markets by oh. far. You know, mm. you, you want it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's what we're kind of pushing for mostly because that's where a lot of our market is. We have, we have Australian fans, but, um, we do. It's, it's kind of overwritten by Europe and the Europe and America at the moment. Um, yeah, we really try, we really want to be able to push for that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Mate, my final question for you is that I understand that you um, offer lessons, uh, bass guitar lessons. So, what advice have you got for budding bass players who are inspired by your performance? Um, well, it's tougher than I thought it'd be. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to stump you. That's okay. Yeah, I don't know why that stumped me. You started the question, and I was like, I can answer that pretty easily, but then I can't. Um, in terms of inspiring, um, like honestly, all I can say is just kind of just practice and just you know sit there and really practice on being efficient with your technique and. and once you've learned all those techniques, make sure you apply them to music. I always make sure that you can apply anything you learn to music, which um, is really good, say, into a song or something or or just in a musical way, just so that you can understand it a bit better. Um, and kind of just just take your time, I think. I think a, a big thing is to rush with technique or with, with anything you're learning, and um, everybody does that, and I'll, I'll still do that now today. But it's really about taking the time to get it really clean and efficient. Say you're playing like a fast riff, which you've never played a fast riff before in this kind of way, you really might have to spend a whole day on that one riff um, just to kind of be able to play it at 50% speed. Um, but that really pays off in the end. And by the time you get to the 100% of that riff and you've got it down in that really nice, efficient way, um, you can really apply that efficiency and technique to what else, what, every other thing that you're doing. I think at the moment what I don't do enough is learn other people's music, and I think you can learn so much from other people's music. Like I said, I do study music, 
at the moment, but um, I don't. We don't derive any of our music songwriting from um, theory at all. Matt doesn't um, Matt doesn't know much theory. We obviously know music, but we don't necessarily know traditional theory to the best of what we can. Um, but we don't. You know, we it's just whatever sounds good, and that's just through. You learn all these things by learning other people's songs as well. Um, I think that's something that's totally overlooked and not just by ripping off other people's techniques or other people's licks, you're just kind of learning what you can from them, especially if you're starting out or um, you're starting to try to write songs. And you're starting writing, to try and write bass songs. Um, like, I don't know, there's so many different ways you can go about it. Obviously, me and Matt go about it different ways, but it still fits under the same umbrella of us, of course. Um, I don't know. Just know that things are possible and have a good bass set up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, then you'll be trying to play some crazy stuff and you just literally won't be able to play it. It's not because it's hard. It's because it's literally impossible on the bass setup that you have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you've got it like a second hand with all due respect, Yamaha bass that you've picked up off Gumtree for 100 bucks, and you're trying to copy what the guys are doing uh, in, in the Omnific, uh, dear listener, don't. <laughs> you won't get there. You won't. You will not well, get just, there. <laughs> yeah, you need to just have a good setup. Like yeah, like the Ibanez SR505. I think I got that for four hundred and twenty bucks, including the case. So it was quite cheap, and that does the job uh, much better than a cheap Yamaha. Um, so yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally have a good setup. <laughs> cool, mate. So how can how can people find your music? Where, where do they need to go to? Um, you can go wherever you like to find our music. We've got it on all uh, platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Bandcamp, whatever whatever you want to pick, you can take it from there. But, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I, I really hope you guys come up here to the Sunshine Coast and also to the Gold Coast, uh, actually. So I'll be, I'll be looking out for your, um, I'm already following you on Facebook, obviously, mate. But, uh, yeah. And look, if there's anything I can do to help bring you guys up here, just reach out and let me know, please. Um, I, I, I could almost say for a fact you'd have an audience up here. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, we'll definitely let you know when we come up and if we need some, some help. You know, so. Mate, this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time out. It's such an impressive release. Um, yeah, I look, I've, I've already submitted my top tens to bloody the media outlets, mate, but if I hadn't, mate, yours would be on there. Um, Thank you. So I've got to try and squeeze it in for next year, make an excuse to try and squeeze it in for next year. Um, I'm, so, I'm so impressed by what you guys have done. Um, so congratulations on a, on a wonderful EP. Um, please keep on doing what you're doing, and, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get to catch up with you guys in the near future when you tour Queensland. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you so much. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and you are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. That was my conversation with the extraordinary bassist from the band The Omnific, his name, Toby Peterson-Stewart. Thank you so much for listening.